I do too. The shows that I listen to that I find I like don't have like a big fancy intro. They just get right to it because the people that are already listening to the show like know what to expect. They're just excited yeah. to hear from you. Yeah, they're like, I know you, man. Like, I know you. Can exactly. you imagine how weird it would be if every time you saw somebody that you knew, you like introduced yourself? <laughs> it was like background music and like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yeah. Hello, father. As you know, I'm sitting here at work. Hey, speaking of which, it's the 16th. So we need to circle back on something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is your dad's podcast. Has oh, it been published yet? No, he hasn't. And it's so funny you say that because I just talked to him yesterday and really, really gave him shit about it. So here's what happened. <laughs> this is going to sound like sad. It's not meant to be sad at all. It's meant to be like a celebration of life. But my grandmother, his mother is like really, really suffering from dementia. And so he wanted to record like an episode with her because she still has like her beautiful, thick Scottish accent, you know, and it's like a cool way to get her voice since like my generation is all Americans now. So we, we ain't, I still got family in Scotland, you know, but point is, it was like a cool way to document this part of life, right? But the recording just like didn't go well, you know, he just felt squirrely about it. And so he didn't publish it. But like that exact moment is such a reason why like you have to publish it because it's never going to get any better than what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, on my way to the gym yesterday, I was in the car and I, was, <laughs> I have my headphones on so I could really lean into it. Right. And I, I was really like yelling at him. I was like, dad, like <laughs> that's the whole point, you know, like you have to publish it. It's never going to be perfect. Like you have to publish it. So man, I'm so happy you brought that up. I didn't realize that it was the 16th and I didn't realize that that, that month had passed. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just give out my dad's email when we send this thing out in, in the newsletter. And I'm just going to tell him. He's going to dox him. <laughs> yeah, to email my dad and yell at him. So I'm not going to do it over the air, but but sign up for sign up for my newsletter, actually. That's more appropriate. Sign up for timstods.com and I'm going to dish out my dad's email and I'm going to tell everybody to yell at him. <laughs> you can yell at, yell at Tim on Twitter and then he'll just send your words. He'll forward them to his dad. Yes. <laughs> that works too. Yeah, that works too. I get it though, man. I mean, I get it. You know how you, I mean, you, we had a whole episode on how uh, nerve wracking it can be to hit that publish button. You've been doing it for years. I've been doing it for years. And I think, honestly, I don't know if I ever would have really gotten started without like the positive reinforcement from colleagues and stuff that I've had. Mm. I hope he, I hope he publishes. I hope he hears this and I hope he publishes because I, the thing that I've always been surprised by is how often the things that I don't think are good that I yeah. put out there because I have to touch somebody in some way that I didn't think they would ever be able to do. It just makes everything feel like it's worth it. So, um, and like it, I, my family's dealt with dementia and Alzheimer's too. That's such a difficult road for somebody else to be able to, I, I it sounded like he was thinking of publishing this episode, that episode with his mom publicly, right? Is that the idea? Oh yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of people who are going to uh, see themselves in an in something like that and that it could really help them in ways that he may not even anticipate. So I hope he publishes, but I also get the uh, the hesitance. So you got uh, you got at least one listener. If you publish, I'll, I'll listen to it, Mr. Man, Mr. Stasi. <laughs> that's, that's what's so tricky about it because you just never know. I mean, a perfect yeah. example, last week... I struggled with that article so much. Mm. And even you saying at the very end, you're like, I can't believe this is a free blog post. You're like, this is like a $10,000 course. And I've been thinking about you saying that all week. And even my article this week, which isn't written yet because we're recording a day early today, we're recording on Thursday. But it is just all about this idea of like, what am I giving to the world? What am I giving to the world? And it was all from you saying that you know so it's I, i'm not even trying to make it about me with like my specific example i'm just relating to that you really really never know mm. if something is good enough i'm doing air yeah. quotes for people listening if something is quote good enough to be published because it's it's not always about that it's just about like meeting somebody where they are totally yeah and i think we've talked before about that um, oh yeah like the gpt3 writing and how 
you know, I had, I did this experiment one time where I, I fed Moby Dick into GPT-3 and then had it mm-hmm. write some more. And some of the prose that it wrote was really, really beautiful. It was the first time I ever realized that it's not really the writer that makes the meaning, you know, of what they, of what they're creating it. There, there's something they're trying to convey and that's important, but ultimately it's the listener or the reader or whoever it is, that's really going to key in on something and it's going to affect them. Hopefully positively. I think there's plenty of evidence out there these days to show that you don't always control the, which direction that swings, but yeah, I, I get it. I, I want to listen to it though, especially just given his, uh, his field and the experience that he's got. I mean, you mentioned he'd done a couple other episodes before this one, just about like what it's like to be on the ground in Philly as a paramedic for mm. that long. It sounds crazy. And I think we need more of that too, more storytelling from the front lines these days, because we've gotten, and I'm, you know, to somewhat, actually I am, I'm guilty of this myself. Like I research businesses and I try to share those stories on, but like, you know, we need people who are actually out there doing it to be telling stories too. And I'm not just talking about business. I'm talking about like the, the different wars that are out there. It's way more helpful when you have wartime correspondents who are actually totally. on the ground and can give you some kind of clear picture. Yeah, so man. anyways, yeah, that's a long story. That's a, a long way of saying hit publish. Mr. Yeah. Hit publish. Everybody mm-hmm. who's listening to this. Yep. Speaking of publish, we got a bunch of things we got to talk about today, man. One thing I want to go through, I want to go, I want to talk about Sahil Bloom. We'll get there though. I don't Excellent. want to talk about him yet. You've heard of him. I've heard of him. A lot of people listening to this have heard of him and he's at like a really interesting inflection point in his uh, business. He he just hit 100,000 email subscribers and 600,000 Twitter followers. And so I thought it'd be kind of a fun opportunity to just take a Take a pause, take a look at who this person is, how he's gotten to where he is, and like what he's doing. So we'll have to do that. But before we do, dude, I I I gotta tell you, I just got out of an event. We had this guy come in. He is an agency owner, but he also coaches agencies. And so we just did like a whole big QA with him. And he talked about some really cool stuff. So do you uh do you want to hear some of this? Like I have a couple of notes here, things that I took away that I thought people from this like is it an event from trends like. you're saying yeah 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 he's a trends member so he's a trends member and we have okay. this facebook group where people like they're constantly they'll either ask questions or they'll share something cool that they're working on and there's a lot of people in there that are just like super legit so you see like we had a guy the other week who who dropped this uh post he's like i spent two hundred thousand dollars a day on facebook ads here's what i've learned <laughs> and i'm like we're I, where else can you find that? I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, wild. this guy, this guy, Mike, dropped a post recently, and he's like, "When I built my agency, I had three goals. I wanted to pay myself. I think it was like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I wanted to work less than sixty hours a month, and I think it was like he wanted to do it while traveling. So he wanted to be able to travel, and he hit all three. And then he posted this great." little breakdown of like the five most important things he did to get to that point. And it was really popular. And so I just, I just reached out to him. I'm like, Hey dude, can you come and do, come talk more about this? Because I think people want to hear from you. Cool. And uh, so we just literally just got off of this event. There was like three things in particular that I thought were really interesting. One is tips for like two, two tools people can use to find um, local leads if you're doing like mm-hmm. lead gen like on a like a local basis another one's like related to mindset for pricing and the last one is a really good exercise for how to i, I guess it's kind of like how to fix everything because it's like it's like how to raise your prices how to how to communicate your value prop better basically everything around pricing and how you're selling he went through this exercise called stressed to success have you heard of this before never it's interesting. It's not his. He, he picked it up from somewhere else, but he shared it. And the idea is if you're in a situation where you're basically trying to sell a service and you, you can be running into like any of several different issues with that. Maybe you don't know how to communicate it. Maybe you're not sure what it's worth. There's a couple of different things that could be going wrong with that. This exercise will help. So what he said was he goes, first thing you want to do is like get clear about who you're talking to. So are you, are you selling to the CEO of a company? Are they the founder? Are they like a marketing manager, who who are they? And then there's three steps. So you need to know three to five of their main stressors. 
related to whatever your service is. So like, let's say you're doing copywriting, right? So their main stressor might be something like meeting their sales quota, right? Or like meeting mm. their sales targets for the year. And they're not sure that they're going to do it. You identify what those high level stressors are, three or five of them. And then for each one, you go in and you find three to five implications of that stress. So like, what does that actually mean for, I don't know, let's say their business. So in the case of meeting sales targets, maybe the implication of being stressed over meeting sales targets is like a marketing manager is worried about keeping their job, right? Because they're not necessarily hitting sales targets. And then this is kind of a kicker for each of those implications you go in and you figure out a couple of, it's going to get meta, implications of the implications. Like if you're stressed about keeping your job, what's going on in your life? Are you not sleeping? Are you not taking weekends? Are you, have you given up on your hobbies? And by the time you go all the way down those rabbit holes for like a couple of the main stressors, what you've got is you've got two things. You've got really specific ideas for the problem that you're actually solving with clients. Yeah. and potentially a much clearer idea of what the actual value is. Because if you dig is if you dig in deep enough and you're like, okay, well, we're gonna help this company hit their whatever, two million dollar sales target for the year, you've now started to assign numbers to your output. And that's gonna make it easier and easier to price yourself backwards from there. It reminds me of the uh that why exercise. Where if you just keep asking why over and over and over again, you get to the actual like root of any problem. Right. <laughs> Except not on sales calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I, uh, I thought the same thing when he said it. Okay, so that was, um, that's the stress of success thing. The second, the second thing he was talking about was like mindset. And I thought this was really helpful because I, I know, well, I know I've been through this. I'll bet you've been through it too. There's like this cat and mouse game with pricing. Like pricing came up a lot in a lot of the different answers that he was giving people. And so I paused him and I asked him, I'm like, hey, I noticed that pricing is kind of an issue. And specifically, there's this thing where like some agency owners, they or like just, you know, it doesn't just have to be an agency. It's like service based mm -hmm. business owners. They run into a problem where they think they have to increase the number of services they offer because they don't think they could price their service high enough to really run the business. So they're like, oh, we do copywriting, but we also do Google ads, and we do SEO, and we do all these other things because maybe they're really an expert at copywriting, but they don't think they can charge enough for that. And he's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what you do. You, what you really need to do is you need to like focus on the thing that you're really good at, figure out what its value is and like charge a lot for it and become the person who is the expensive version of whatever that is. There's an issue with that though, because on the one hand, you, you may not as an owner think that you can charge enough. And on the other hand, if you try to raise your prices, you also really need to believe in your pricing. Otherwise you can't sell it. Yeah. And so there's like this chicken and egg thing where it's like, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of the times with like money that I've earned, it's only after I start earning it that it really feels like it's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally worth it. Of course. You know? Yeah, of yeah. course I'm worth that much. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So I asked him, like, well, how do you solve that? And how do you solve that? Because, you know, a lot of times the, the belief comes after raising your prices. And so he talked through a couple of good questions to just kind of ask people. But the big thing that he said was he's like, you have to understand that it's not lucky that you ended up where you were. Like maybe there was some element of luck that presented an opportunity, but for enough people to say yes to you, for you to be doing what you're doing right now, it's there has to be something to it. Like you, there's not enough dumb people in the chain for you to have gotten where you are purely based on luck. Uh, and so the questions that he asked were really about peeling back the layers of that belief and really kind of convincing yourself that you actually are good at something particular, that it does deliver value. So he was just saying, he's like, you know, let's say agency owners as the example. It's like, take your biggest client and like ask yourself, what is the most profitable project you've done for them? Not profitable for you necessarily, but profitable for them. Like, what's making them the most money right now? And what was involved in that? What did you do well? What was what was easy about it? What came naturally to you? Those kinds of questions 
are going to help you start to land on the like pieces of your business that you are exceptionally good at. And then those are what you really want to double down on so that you can raise the price on them and then just trim away all the extra fat. I, I like this guy. I personally agree with all of that. I do think it's cool to talk about that chicken and egg issue with pricing because it's such a funny thing. And then what does everybody always say? Well, just fake it till you make it. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool, but it's not like I'm it's not like I'm trying to look confident walking down the hall at school. You know, like I'm trying to convince somebody to give me money. <laughs> and so like pros can like sniff that out, right? Like if you fake it till you make it on a sales call, if you got someone who really knows what they're doing, they can tell. Like they'll be able to smell it. Like no, I don't know why I just don't trust you and I'm not I'm not going to do this. I don't necessarily have any good advice to give on it. Just only experience to share. And like my experience is that if you ruthlessly commit to not just like saying you're the best, but actually being the best. And so th this is like the trick for me. And I don't know about anybody else. This is just my experience. In a lot of service-based businesses, people compensate for this by measuring data points that are kind of irrelevant. So for SEO, for site traffic in general, let's just say you're a digital marketing agency. It's really, I shouldn't say really easy. It's pretty damn easy to make graphs go up to the right. Like you could always find some metric about what's going well. And it's very, very difficult to truly, truly look at like the truth right in the face as a company and say what it is that you're going to provide for your clients. And for us, it's phone calls. Like that's it. That's the only thing clients care about. We could send them, you, you could probably buy like four months worth of paid invoices by sending graphs and charts of social media likes and shares and who knows, like whatever kind of way I could spin the data. But ultimately, like the client is going to be looking at the phone calls because that's the thing that they're reporting back to their board or their investors or their wife, you know, like whatever it is, their wife or their husband, whoever it is, it's like got their, their ass to the fire. And so the experience, like I said, I don't have advice on this. I just have my experience. My experience was as soon as a collectively as a group, we just decided to not care about anything other than the one thing that matters, the confidence like really built itself because then like at, that insecurity comes from the thing where you're saying like, oh, well, did I just get lucky? You know, like, did I just talk somebody into something? Was that just kind of a fluke where like the, the thing that your guy, uh, Mike talked about is like, it's, it's not an accident that you're here. And so for me to really believe that it's not an accident that we're here was to make the true decision to like measure how well we're doing against the really hard thing that matters. And then after that, like the whole company knows. It's like, no, no, like we're, we're the best at this and there's not anybody really close. And if you don't want to spend this much money with us, work with somebody else and we'll talk to you in five months when it doesn't work. You know, and it's just like so different. It's just a different mentality that you forge within yourself. Wow. Hold on a second. Something you just said really grabbed me by the shirt. So you said something to the effect of like, as soon as we decided to focus or to, to not care about anything except for the one thing that really matters, like everything else kind of fell into place. That is, that's worth like reflecting on. And I, I'm not going to do it here, but I am going to take this away and think about this more <laughs> because I feel like this, I actually feel like that applies to everything. You hit the nail on the head with something that I, I hadn't really considered before, but as soon as you said it, it felt so true, which is like a lot of the discomfort that comes, whether it's as a, a business owner thinking you got lucky or like somebody who's in a job wondering, you know, like we're in, we're in very uncertain times right now economically. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who are wondering about how their job is going to like how and if their job will continue to exist. If you are focused on the one thing that really matters to your company, it's almost like a non-question. Exactly. It's only people who kind of like make their I want to, I don't even say, I don't even want to say make their money. I would say 
people who spend a large part of their day doing things that are not focused on that one thing. And Mm -hmm. so you're keeping people happy or like trying to look important, trying to look busy, taking on things, saying yes to things. None of that matters if you're focused on that one thing. That's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to sit with that more. I like the way you said that. Thank you. And this isn't some profound thing that I thought of all on my own. It's been years of feeling like really insecure on sales calls and getting emails from clients. And you know, that feeling where it's like, like they must be upset with me. You know, they must be upset with me. I must be doing something wrong. I just eventually for me, it got to the point where like the pain of living in that kind of constant like monkey on your back was worse than the pain of just like straight up looking like, am I any good at this or not? And then like once, like here's the thing about that. Even if you find that you're not that good at it, the hard part's kind of over because then you know what you have to do to get good at it. Whereas like the rest of it is just sort of like this constant song and dance of, you know, how do I send an email in a way that makes it seem like everybody's really buzzing over here? How do I paint this picture in a way that whatever, whatever. So Tim, yeah, <laughs> I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. There's like a whole publishing empire built in that idea books classes mastermind session (laughs) i'm not patronizing you that's like a big there's something you're 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 saying it very nonchalantly but you're touching on something that's like incredibly profound so yeah thanks for sharing that i think the the reason it's hitting me so much is that this is something that i feel like i've struggled with my entire career too because i Mm -hmm. feel like i've had i've had a ton of opportunities and i think you know, like a lot of people would say privilege. I've, I always used to joke that I've been lucky to spend most of my career doing things that I never even thought would be like a real job. You know, I've, you know, I've like run my own company while traveling all over the U S and Europe. And I've like had a job working for a startup, just flying around the country, hosting happy hours for the most part. Like that was the job. And now I get to write about really incredible people and tell these amazing business stories. And so there is, there is, and there always has been a part of me that wonders, like, am I delivering any value here? Like, and could I sort of, could I replicate this lifestyle on my own, you know, or have I just been like lucking into jobs? And I actually don't want to hear feedback on it because I think you're like, you're always nice to me. And I think you're going to say, yes, you deliver value. And you might be right. But what the, the the really profound thing about what you just said is like, it's actually a huge burden off to just really identify what is that most important thing and then get very clear about whether or not you're delivering on it. And I think in some ways, like that exercise I mentioned a minute ago with the implications of the implications, that is an exercise for identifying what Agreed. is that most important thing. Yeah. I totally agree. And so I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time with this because I I feel like you just offered a pretty simple prescription for something that has sort of always gnawed at the back of my mind. And I hope people here caught that because I'm sure lots of people feel the same way. I do too. And here's the tricky part. It's very simple, but it's not easy. And that sucks, but it's, it's, it's like a league of their own, right? There's no crying in baseball. Like it's the hard that makes it great, right? That's that's why I appreciate that kind of thing. And I'm I'm a little awkward about it because I'm not trying to say like I have it figured out by any means. It's just my experience taught me that lesson. And you can ask anybody in my company, you know, like shit, there's a lot of things that we need to improve on. But I can tell you 100%, you could take it to the bank. If you talk to anyone in my company, they will say like, what do you do that special? And they say, like, we, we focus on what matters and we're the absolute best at it. And it's just no question, you know? And so, like, I don't have to sell, right? Like, I, I, I do, but it's just some, something happens. Like, it's Tom Brady. You know what I mean? You look at Tom Brady, he's like, I am the fucking best quarterback in the history of the world. You know, and it's just like, okay, man, like, I, I totally believe <laughs> I you. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, like, I believe you. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of those things, right? I'm not saying I'm Tom Brady. I, I think you get what I'm saying now. It's just a something switches in your brain where it doesn't matter that much anymore. 
I, it's interesting that this came up too because I've been listening to uh, Cameron Haynes' new book. Oh, yeah, he's an animal. He yeah, is, but I never knew. Like, okay, so for people who haven't heard of Cameron Haynes, he's like, I think, I feel like there's the guy like practically lives two lives because on the one hand, he's this social media influencer, bow hunter. He's been on the Joe Rogan show. He's a very close friend of Rogan's. And so he does a lot of high profile appearances on different podcasts all over the internet. And so he kind of gives off that vibe of like influencer guy, you know, but I'm reading his book and he's worked for like the department of water for like the last 15 years or 20 years or something like that. I never knew that. Yeah. He's got a full-time job working basically for the state or for the, I'm going to butcher this. So check, check me on all of it, but uh, this is his most recent book and he's been working at the same company for a very long time. He's got a very straightforward day job. It's not what, it's not like, you know, making content is his full-time job. Mm. He's got a job and then he's got the only other thing. Anyways, I thought that was really interesting in part because of what we like. It's, it's kind of refreshing to be honest. Like you, we spend so much time in this arena where like everybody's got something to sell that to see somebody who's really just out there. I mean, he's got to be monetizing the content. I don't know. I'll look into it for our next oh, yeah. episode. But the fact that he's still working that job to me indicates something about what his priorities are and how they're not necessarily just being an influencer. But the reason that I brought him up in this context was because he talks about something very similar. Like he's his his thing is bow hunting. And he is like the Michael Jordan of bow hunting. I don't know if he would use that term, but for like elk hunting, apparently the yeah. average success rate. Yeah, apparently average success rate for like a career elk hunter is like 10%. And Cameron Haynes has been 100% effective, which means he gets an elk every time he goes out, which is unheard of. And you listen to the book and his reason for that is that that is his, you know, that is his Michael Jordan thing. He is 100% dialed in on bow hunting. And so I've been thinking a lot about like, what do you think, what do you think your version of elk hunting would be? Have you ever found it? Is it a problem if you haven't found it? Or like, well, I'll pose that to you. Have you found it? What do you think yours would be? It's getting phone uh, numbers, getting phone calls. I have found it, man. And I think this is a really cool topic to talk about because creators, you know how I hate that word, but let's just say people that create content on the internet, I think a lot of them fall into that trap of like, I need to have my thing, right? Like I need to have my thing. And I wish I had a way to like put that into a really nice platter and say like, this is how you find your thing. For me, it was the hardships in my life that brought me to this aspect of like service, you know? And so I don't exactly know how I would quantify this, but it's, it's the thing that I think about at night. Like, how can I give away? as much stuff as I possibly can. You know, like that that's my impact is just give away what was so freely given to me. It's like I think about that a lot. I think about how I can be the like the the the, the Michael Jordan of shared knowledge, sort of speak. I don't like I said, I don't know exactly how to how to quantify that, but when I measure like how good I feel up against how much I'm of service, then thing, things in my life seem to be going in, in like the right direction. And the opposite is also true. When like I'm thinking about myself a lot, then all of a sudden I'm like not feeling, I'm not feeling it. I'm like wrapped up in self. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a cop-out answer. Um, I don't have necessarily like I want to be the best at type deal. It's not to say I'm not competitive. It's just, it never really found its way for me. I was just very, very lucky to like land in this place in my life where I thought like, if I can do this as best as I possibly can, then I'm, I'm set. And like, I, I know that I'm going in the right direction. What about you? I'm not sure. I think I err more on the side of like, there's a part of me that says yes, because I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always loved startups and business. And I spend my time immersed in that world. And so like my full-time focus is what I love. And I feel incredibly lucky to do that. I don't know if I have the same level of focus or what I would say is like, sometimes I envy people like Michael Jordan yeah, because there's such a clear 
set of rules for mm-hmm. getting really, really good at that thing. And I don't, maybe that, maybe I'm underselling it, but like, you know, the, the, the rules, the objectives, the points, they're all very well defined. And I feel like, I, I don't know if I haven't found them or if I just haven't taken the time to really identify them. I don't feel like I have that same target, but there's a part of me that thinks that, that, that thinks that that's okay. Exactly. And I think that there's a chance that even when they were in the middle of it, they probably felt similar. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. Michael Jordan knew he was aiming for what he ultimately achieved. I think he spent a lot of time with his head down practicing something that he cared about day to day, even when it sucked. And like, you know, he dealt with a whole bunch of stuff on the side, like relationships and taxes and all kinds of stuff every single day. And then one day you pick your head up and you're great, you know, but that's kind of the, the sum result of days and days and weeks and months and years of just kind of grinding. And I think, uh, I think that's okay. So I have a basic idea of what I like and what I like to spend my time on, what I care about. I don't ever, I, but I've never felt like I've really had like a super, super clear, well-defined path or purpose. And, but I think that's fine. Um, I totally agree with that. I think that is very liberating, actually. And I, 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 I truly think that's the right answer because how awful would it be to say like, I'm either this or I'm nothing? Like, that sounds terrible. Nobody <laughs> wants to do that. And even, even the people that we measure ourselves up against with that don't actually do that. They just find themselves in a lane that fits. So yeah, when we say it that way, it makes my answer seem even more clear to me because like I'm, I'm here to create a production company and like I want to be one of the best CEOs of this like content production company machine that I've been envisioning for a long time. But like I am not a production company, right? And it's it's almost it's 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 hard when entrepreneurs and when creators and writers and YouTubers and all of them get stuck in there because that's why quote unquote personal brands are so tricky. Because like how do you brand yourself when you are so many different things? <laughs> and like it's 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 a hard thing for people to navigate. And so I I I think what you say is actually the right answer. The right answer is find the thing that make you feel like you're contributing and then do those things as best as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. And then one day you'll wake up and you'll think like, oh, wow, my contribution to the world was this. And like, you'll probably make money doing it as well. Yeah. But even if you don't, uh, you'll kind of enjoy it along the way. And I think that's important too, given like I've always had an eye on long-term economic trends, you know, like there's like, you know, we're dealing with high inflation right now. And if you read history, you know, there have been times in even the recent past in different countries when people had worked their entire life to save up, uh, maybe doing something that they didn't necessarily enjoy. And then yeah. all of a sudden, all that money was worthless. And like, could you imagine? getting to the end like that and just and terrible. Yeah. And so I think about that a lot. I think it's important to keep top of mind and kind of continually ask yourself, you know, like, is this thing that I'm doing, is it worth it? Even if it doesn't pay. And to be honest, that was one of the things that hooked me at my job. I shouldn't say this on the air because like, I, (laughs) I like my paycheck, but I would do it for free. And, and, and I first got that job right at the beginning of the pandemic. So another very precarious like economic situation and I was contracted with them. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I was contracted for like 20 hours a week, but I was putting in between 40 and 50. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, yeah, it's because I would, this is what I want to do. I would totally, totally do this for a job. I would do it for free. And so I'm going to just work my ass off here. And I kind of like that, man. Cameron, I mean, I, you know, I live a pretty easy life, not like out there running marathons every day, like Cameron is, but I like that guys like him are out there and they're starting to get popular again. Cause for a long time, you know, it was all about, you know, living as easily as possible. And there is something to that, but it's also refreshing to hear somebody else say, well, actually you just got to work really hard. Like, Hey, if you want something, go just work really hard. What do you want? 
stop stop talking about it. Just go work hard. Just go work. Like, got it. Yeah, it's not everything, but but it is an important part of the equation that I think people have uh, let go of. And I think that's maybe that's a great transition into this conversation about Sahil because he's unique in a couple of different ways. I'm excited and, to hear about this. You've, about you've brought him up a few times. It seems like you have like a cool objective appreciation for what he's built over the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to hear about this. A little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I do these, I did these things in my spare time. Oh, can I get to, can I get to sharing real quick? So in my spare time, I usually go through, or I don't usually go through, I'll like pick interesting creators and just kind of do deep dives on what they're building and how okay, they've grown. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's fine. Keep going. Just <laughs> keep going. Question? <laughs> Question no, in the back of the room? It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I, yeah. I professionally stalk creators, but no, I think it's, it's, cool. it's not like, even professionally. It's in, <laughs> in your spare time. <laughs> like scroll back up. Did you actually graph out his entire Twitter account over the course of eight years? <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Yeah. Holy shit. I got tears. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, well, I've, just to be clear, this is what I do for work. So it's it's a pretty natural extension of what I do for work for companies, and we'll do it for um, for creators too. So yes, I did. I went back and <laughs> so heels interesting, but there's only a handful of them, right? There's like a handful of people in business Twitter that are like really well known right now. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do is just kind of look at each one and see what they're doing and why it works. But he stood out to me pretty early on. Because of how fast his Twitter audience grew, let me give you let me give people the high level because we've laid out this model a couple of times. Um, and so, for anybody who hasn't heard about him, I want them to know like who he is, what his deal is, and why he's actually interesting. If we talk about the model that we've laid out, we always say there's basically three steps to this creator type business model. First is cash flow, second is building your audience, and then on the the third stage, you basically build products that monetize that audience. So for anybody who doesn't know Sahil, uh, he basically started out as like uh, an analyst at this company called Altamont, which for whatever reason, I can't pronounce, but it's it's like a Wall Street company. They got almost $4 billion under management and he was like spent the first eight years of his career there. So for like most of his career so far, he's a young guy. He's like a little younger than me, I think 30-ish. He was like a Wall Street guy. Uh, so that was that was how he started out. And then... Right when the pandemic hit, he started tweeting. That was two years ago. In those two years, he's built an audience of like 600,000 Twitter followers, 100,000 email subscribers, and then a whole bunch of products in the back end. So he's really inter- like he's interesting because he's built a large following in a short period of time. The other reason I think he's interesting is that when you really dig into it, there's two things. One, he's very good at being consistent, which is which is rare. It's something that I'm personally pretty bad at. But his consistency has allowed him to get a lot more out of a lot less work than I think most people would think is necessary. So that's one thing that's kind of interesting. Okay, so let me just step through the cash, like the R three part model first. I, I mentioned cash flow first. So he spent his first eight years on Wall Street, started as an analyst, which is like super junior role there, ended up as a VP, and then when he left the company, he's now an advisor there. So that's pretty interesting, right out of the get, right out of the bat. But that was his cash flow. Now, he kept that job. I didn't realize this. Or at least according, this is based on LinkedIn. We should have him on here to just like validate any of these things that I say, because I'm not sure some of them might be wrong. But according to LinkedIn, he was like still working that job well into building his audience. So there's one lesson for people right out of the gate. Like keep your your job. Yeah, yeah. Keep your job. Started building his audience in May of 2020. We can go into some detail on how he did that. But primarily Twitter, he would write, two threads a week, high quality threads, mostly on like financial markets. And then he would basically repost those threads as newsletters. And that's how he started getting his newsletter. And I've gone back to the threads, I've gone back to the newsletters. And for the most part, at least early on, the newsletter was a verbatim copy of the thread. So not a huge investment of time creating the newsletter. It was more like just packaging the same content in a different 
medium for people who weren't like big Twitter users. Okay. Starts building that in May of 2020. And like Tim said, I charted it out. It, it, his Twitter grew pretty fast. He also shared this chart the other day of like how his newsletter subscribers grown. And what I thought was kind of interesting about this, people reading or listening won't see it, but it's up on the screen now. It's, it's pretty linear. It's very linear. And yeah. you can see if you really look close, like there's a hop. I don't know if that's weekly or just, it looks like just about every week or so. There's this little hop up. And I bet you that's when the newsletter ships or when his Twitter thread goes out. And so yeah. people looking at this, I think the second lesson there is just keep doing it. Actually, what we were saying a couple minutes ago, you just keep grinding. Like he got to 100,000 subscribers by just consistently shipping for the last two years and literally nothing else. There's basically no hockey stick on here, you know? So that's an important lesson for people. We're a little short on time, so I don't want to go too deep in his growth, like the tactics and stuff. But suffice it to say, he didn't monetize anything until about a year in. So May of 2021 is when the newsletter started getting ads. I think that was pretty much the first. So he puts ads on his newsletter? Puts ads, yeah. And so th there's basically five or six monetization streams. So he has, he has the newsletter at this point that's got ads. He does a podcast with Greg Eisenberg. They've got ads. He does a job board, which is really interesting. I'll Ooh. talk about that in a second. Yeah. I love job um, boards. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting front end product. And then he's got a Maven course. And the big one, I think this is probably where the bulk of his revenue comes from, is he's got his own like VC fund or he's got a fund. I'm not sure if it's VC fund or not, but it's a fund that he just launched this year. So the, the takeaway for people listening, though, is like he kept his job, grew his audience for more than a year. He was at that job, at least according to LinkedIn, until August of last year. So that's like 15 months of growing a pretty substantial audience. Before he haven't before he even stepped away from his job, and he's still got pretty consistent income from you know he's an advisor to that company. I don't know if that pays or not, but he's also on the board of at least four other companies, and like the average pay for board members, at least non internal board members, is somewhere between like twenty five and forty k a year. So you're talking about say like a hundred thousand dollars in board positions. So it's not like he just made the leap to being a full-time creator. And I think that's a point that we try to drive home often here yeah. that gets missed. Uh, and then, you know, he's the product-wise, he's got a lot of different products. And what's interesting about them is that they feed on each other. So like the newsletter is, he posts the podcast in the newsletter. And so the audiences sort of like build these growth loops against each other, but also mm. his he can charge more for advertising because his advertisers are not only being exposed to his newsletter audience, they're also going out on his different mediums. So I'll, I'll pause there because I've said a lot, but uh, he's a really interesting case study to me. And this is kind of like, he just hit this big milestone recently. So I've been revisiting some of my notes. I want to learn more about him. I don't know him. I hardly even know really who he is. I, I obviously have seen him on Twitter, but I don't know like his story or what he's built or anything like that. We should try to have him on. I'd be really curious to know. There's a few things I'd be curious about. And one of these things may sound a little cynical. And maybe it is cynical. Um, I don't mean it to be. It's just something that I think about. I'm curious as to his cash flow. Did he keep his job? That'd be really cool if he did. I, I don't, maybe cool is not the word. It would be another example of just humility and why humility is so important. And just doing what you got to do to put the the next foot in front of the other, and not getting caught up in, you know, all the the buzz online and thinking that you got to quit your job and and all that. I'd be really really curious about his job board because I just think that there's there's such good products, and they basically run themselves, which I love. So oh, can I pause you there? It was up. So this is interesting because this is another example of like the growth loops within the little media empire that he's building because the job board. So I wondered about the job board too, because if you look at it, it doesn't really look like it's like he hasn't really maximized the monetization strategy, basically charges like 500 bucks a month or people can buy by the quarter or by the year, but the pricing, it really isn't optimized. And the it's not even on a domain. It's just on pallet. Right. Here's the deal. Pallet is an investment company of his. So he's an investor in Pallet. 
So I think he uses, he basically uses this media machine to test and also kind of give clout to some of his portfolio companies. And I mean, I know he's got at least five people that are sponsored on that. So it's doing like maybe 2,500 bucks a month. But I doubt that's like a significant portion of his income just based on the fact that it's not like, like if you look at the benefits here, it's not super optimized. Plus Palette's still in like beta test or something like that. You have to basically apply in order to get a membership. So I think what he's probably doing is he's probably testing it out. Pretty cool. Giving feedback, giving some visibility to Palette. But I I would doubt if if it's a major, major part of what he considers to be his like yeah. income. And then the last thing I would want to learn, and this is the potentially cynical part, is <laughs> there's been a lot of fund managers popping up the last two years. And it seems like a real easy time to be young and handsome with 100,000 <laughs> Twitter followers and have a fund, right? And I... I really want to know what the game is on these rolling funds that we've seen because like I, I, I've been thinking about it for myself when you have an audience and you know, I don't really have too much desire to build another membership and more courses and build a business that way. But so what I got a couple options I can do as on a newsletter, you know, the route I probably will take is just build more businesses and invest in like not not VC funding, like find other companies that are already profitable and just scale them a little bit. I, I think that's better for me. But the reason I've been thinking about this so much is because I'm thinking about like my own future and like what do I want to do with my brand and where do I want to go with it? And it seems so easy these days to jump on a fund and to get a couple million bucks in like your rolling fund. And now all of a sudden you're a fund manager. But like, what's this going to look like five years from now? Right. Because all these tech companies, ain't making it, man. I think all of them are basically not making it. Uh, but media companies will make it. And so I'm really, really curious to hear about like the landscape of online entrepreneurship over the next five years from somebody who's, who's, in the the game who's actually writing checks and like has skin in the game because i think media is going to have a huge resurgence man i really really do but i think like tech and SaaS is going to have a tough tough five to ten years especially with valuations being what they were and so like i want to learn how the hell is this going to (laughs) work totally totally yeah we should see if he'll come on and and talk through it i think uh, I definitely agree with you, but to me, you know what it is. You know what it is. It's almost like there is no good reason not to do it if yeah, you are find yourself in a certain yeah. If you find yourself in a certain position, for people who don't know, the way these funds work is I, I mean you have to be an accredited. I don't know what the accreditation process is in order to raise your grand own fund. A year. Okay, so the so okay so the so the income threshold is actually relatively low for somebody who spends their time in finance and tech. Like yeah. that's a doable thing for a pretty significant portion of the population. And the upside is 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 pretty nice too. So the like VCs typically make their money into or fund managers make their money in two ways. There's something called carry. Yep. And then there's the management fee. So the management fee is usually like a straight two percent on however much is in the fund. So in the case of Sahil, that's a $10 million fund. So that's 200 k management fee per year. Now some people waive that. Like I think, I think when Sean Purry did his, I think he waived the management fee up front. He did. He sent it to me. Yeah. And and sometimes that's because they're like, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it, it can just make it easier to get people in the door, or you know, he's p- playing a longer, a longer term game. So I'm not saying Sahil is definitely making 200 k on this thing per year, but that's one avenue. The other is the carry. Carries typically it, what that is for again, people who may not have heard that term before. It's uh you basically get a percentage of whatever the fund returns. So if he makes a hundred percent return on his money, uh typical carry is like twenty percent. So you can make twenty percent of that comes off the top and goes back to him. And some people will reinvest that, some people use it to live their lifestyle, whatever you want. So like you get a ten million dollar fund, twenty percent carry on a if he if he can double the fund over the next five to ten years, that's two million bucks in his pocket right there plus the 200k per year management fee 
it's it seems like a slam dunk. I don't see any good like business reason not to do it as long as like as long as you have some advantage because what you don't want to do is you don't want to make all your money on management because that means you lost exactly. everybody's money right exactly yeah so yeah we'll see man but the other thing is like i agree with you it's going to be a tough couple of years but you've said publicly too which is like all the best companies are made during these kinds of markets for sure so this is this is a great time to have a couple million bucks sitting in a fund ready to deploy I did the math. His company writes checks anywhere from fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So he could make two hundred bets over the next couple of years if he wanted to. And you know, from what I've heard, unless you're really bad, like one in probably fifty or sixty of those is probably going to make it. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I I I would love to talk more about it. I've We'll see it. I'm just in a weird here. spot now, you know, where like, what do I do? And I've thought about it. It's just, I don't want to be leveraging social clout to just make percentage off of people's money that I could lose. Right. You know right. what I mean? It just seems kind of like a, it's like a racket and I, I can't help it. I don't know Sahil at all. So I'm not even necessarily saying this about him. I've seen it. We've all seen it a lot over the last couple of years, you know, as a new fund like every other day. And like right. how many of these funds are just, just, I hope it does well, but if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because I, I caught my 2% and I'm out the door. Right. You know, so, uh, or so like yeah, with, yeah, we'll see if we'll come on the, uh, or with, you know, with fresh off the back of crypto. I think there's a, a lot of people got stung by that. Um, so this is on top of a lot of people's minds as well. Like yeah. I remember when, um, do you remember, Oh, we've talked about it. What's that damn creator token thing? Rally? No, it was it was the, the it was like the stock market for people's reputation. Oh yeah, what, what was it called? It was like a BitClout. BitClout. When BitClout first came out, it started making the rounds really fast and it like got really popular. And but I I was super skeptical. Steph, one of my colleagues, was super skeptical. And I was skeptical for two reasons. First of all, the idea was terrible. <laughs> secondly the best reason everybody had for investing in it was just that everybody else had invested in it like yeah, they would it. kept saying they're like oh but look at all the big names who've invested in it and what i think gets missed sometimes and i know this for a fact because i've met like one of the two people who kicked off that chain of events is that there's a lot of inside dealing that goes on people yeah. people text people they and like they have friends they get friends in early and then they decide to make it super popular so you're right to be skeptical. I think anybody is right to be skeptical of these people. And yet you ultimately have to go based on character. And I think uh, one thing that's been interesting to me about Sahil is that he's very consistent. And I think that takes a certain amount. Like that's one check on the right column for, for like sure. uh, character traits that you would trust in somebody. So we'll see if he'll come on here and talk more. Nice. It, but it is. Yeah, it's a super interesting business model. Anyways. Uh, this was a lot. I think that hopefully that was interesting for people. I loved we'll it, man. To- we went through some great stuff this week. I loved it. Yeah. Well, we'll link up to everything in the show notes and you're traveling. Safe travels, dude. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.